is the World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. Jane, what are we talking about today? What's this series? What are we exploring today? So those of you who've been listening along this season, we've been doing a series of conversations between James and I that have uh, covered a number of challenges that managers face. And we've been talking a little bit about our particular approach to those challenges, our experience of it. And hopefully offering some of our own perspective about what people might want to do. And this one is a first because this is our first one coming from World of Work Project and World of Work Podcast audience member. So Karen Abrams, big shout out to her in the US, emailed in after one of our newsletters and said, hey, I'd be really interested in hearing you talk about this, what she suggested, which we have labeled using her phrase, it's lonely at the top. And Broadly, what we're talking about is the situation where you get job and it's a little bit, it's more senior. So you're either a CEO, an MD or a head of a division because there's only one of you. Quite often you have less around you drawn. So we're going to be talking all about that. We're going to talk a little bit more about the context and situation. Then we're going to share a little bit of our own personal reflections on the context, do a bit of a deep dive and then share our experiences and tips before we get out of here. Exciting, right? This is a nice topic. It's something really, really good to focus on and get our teeth into a little bit. Um, have you been here before? Have you have you been in this? Have you been this person? Have you been the the lonely person on the summit of the something or other? I don't know if I was at a summit. I definitely have had new jobs, two in particular. One I'm thinking of in very particular, where I was appointed. I sat on the leadership team, but quite separate from everyone else because my work area was basically starting from scratch. So I was starting on my own scratch. It was a little bit like being a sort of founder of a section, but it was also only ever a fixed term section because it was in sports major events. And therefore I felt a little bit separate from the leadership team. I felt a little bit separate from the team running the event and I felt a little bit separate from everything really. And yes, I have been here particularly in that scenario. And I, yes, it was very, very lonely. And I think my friends and my personal relationships really felt the brunt of it. But yeah, what about you? I was thinking about this when this came in and we were exploring it. I don't think I've been in a role quite like this. You know, I've run teams and, and things like that, but I've never felt like I was the, the sort of one person at the top of something. I've, I've always had a peer group around me. I've never run a really, for example, like a multifunctional team where everyone's coming into me. I, I've always felt in a place where I've got support and peer groups. So I've never actually been in that position. I've spoken to a lot of people that have been there, but I don't think I've been there myself. Maybe one day, but not yet. But I've certainly spoken to a lot of people and I can relate to and empathize with and and have some insight into it, but I've not done it myself. And I think it's probably worth calling out here the context that Karen gave us as well, which is even more specific, just because we might refer back to it a little bit. So the original prompt was around, in particular, nonprofit leaders and CEOs who have a board who are quite hands-off or voluntary and therefore have limited time. And I think whether it's a board, whether it's a CEO, a leadership team above you, If you are living in that space where you're senior, but quite distant from the group of people who are there to hold you to account or the person that's holds you account, I think it can put you in a really tricky place. Yeah, I I think that's right. 
Well, why don't we jump into it? Why don't we jump into it and explore a little bit what we might do and, and just kick around some thoughts? You've been there. Why don't I open it up by saying either what was the first thing you'd do if you were going to do it again or, or what do you I wish you'd done differently? I mean, I, th- I think my short answer would be not what I did. That's always a good place to start. That's often the way, isn't was... it? That's why we're sharing. I'll tell you what I would say. There's two things that I found really helpful when I moved to Scotland. So after I left that role, actually two after that role, I moved up to Scotland on my own and started my own consultancy just before I met you, James. And one of the things I did before I moved was to reach out on social media and say, hey, I'm making this move and I would like to buy coffee for anyone who knows anyone in this space. And whilst if I was moving into a bigger organization, I wouldn't approach the language quite like that. I definitely think once you know you're moving and it's public knowledge, reaching out before you're even in that role to peers, to competitors, to people in that industry space who are not necessarily directly the same as you and kind of announcing yourself open to that conversation. Number one, hands down, best thing I did, because in the first few really lonely weeks, well, that's I actually it was the first thing, the best thing that you did. <laughs> and those of you listening who know our relationship will know that's actually how I ended up talking to James. So there's that. I'd forgotten about that. I'd forgotten that was like directly related. And then the other thing on a very practical basis, which is related, which I know you're going to talk more about because I know you've talked about how useful it's been, but very specifically is using a academic tool called Personal Boardroom, which is the understanding that there are specific roles we need people to play in order to help us steer our career and our work. And I just think it's amazing. I've used it so many times as a just writing out on a piece of paper the different roles I need. Because what really helped me in both roles, actually, was I was stepping into different, slightly different functions, like you say, leading areas where people were reporting into me or working with me, and I didn't have the expertise of what they do. And what I found really helpful was it helped me understand what was missing, not the quantity of relationships I had, but the type of relationships. So for example, I had no relationships with people in the major event industry when I first stepped into it. And so I really thought about who do I need to speak to? How can I build those relationships? And again, when I moved to Scotland, I had no experience with freelancers. And I was a freelancer and I was dead. You know, I had lots of relationships, but everyone had a job. And I was like, who can I talk to who's going to understand why I'm facing these challenges around cash flow and things like that? So those would be my two things, definitely. What about you? Yeah, but that's just nice to hear that. I guess I was I was thinking about this. You know, we, we do a little bit of prep for this. I, like I've got eight bullet points or something like that. That's the way it works. And one of the things that was quite high on my list of things that I think is important in this space and that if I found myself in this specific place, I'd, I'd try and look at and maybe look at before. And for me, I think a lot of it starts with a little bit of self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-reflection. And some of the things that you spoke to there, for me, almost fit into that category. And I think, you know, projecting myself into going into that type of role, I think I'd want to be clear on what I'm good at. So, you know, make sure I'm clear on the skills that I do bring. But equally as importantly, I'd want to be clear on maybe where I've got some gaps and try and have a little bit of comfort around the areas that I need help in or where I'd look for, you know, maybe some of that technical support. So, So that understanding of self, understanding of capability, also understanding of what I need as a person to navigate through this. I think depending on our career paths to these different roles, we'll have different strengths from a, a functional or technical co- capacity. So for example, if you're an engineer and you end up leading a tech startup, you'll have one set of strengths. If you are, I don't know, maybe a fundraiser in an organization who ends up being the leader of a charity, you'll have a different set of strengths and gaps. And I think trying to 
reflect on your your sort of career map and the strengths and the gaps that you bring is helpful, but also trying to get a bit of a flavor of what you need as a person. So some people I think are more individual processors, more self-reflective, they can do more individual activities to help them navigate these moments of sort of being on their own. And and some people need more of that verbal processing or, or collaborative work. So trying to understand what those softer things that you need to feel comfortable in that place would probably be my starting point. And I, I actually think that is potentially an ongoing thing that anyone can do at any stage of that. And to do that as a piece of prep at an earlier stage of your career. So when you go into these situations, you're better able to to be ready already, I think would be really helpful. So that kind of makes sense, that sort of know thyself. Yeah, I think it totally makes sense. I think to give you a very live example, people may not believe this, but I'm incredibly shy in situations where I don't have a role. So give me a role, whether it's like serving food or giving a speech or networking or facilitating, fine, brilliant. Extremely, extremely extroverted. And I am extroverted generally, but I have a real discomfort with approaching people like in social events, networking. So I can go to a conference and not speak to anyone. And I will walk away so ashamed that I haven't spoken to anyone, but I won't have had the guts just to approach someone. So I know that. So for me, I understand there are some things that will work for other people that don't work for me. So I always think about that as like, how can I create a purpose and reason to every interaction, every situation when I'm trying to build those relationships and networks? So for me, like, for example, trying to get on, like raise my raise my profile so I can get on awards judging or facilitation or my classic is always to join a volunteer board. That's my go-to because I'm like, right, I'll build relationships with people in the industry, but also I'm there for a reason. Like no one's going to be like, why are you suddenly talking to me? Because I actually have a reason to be there. So I think that self-awareness is massively important and understanding and being realistic about what works for you, I think is hugely important. Yeah, I like that, that sort of example you gave of the introvert, extrovert and different situations i think that's that shows some some real insight i guess again you know sort of projecting myself into this i think what i would look to do next is bring in a network grow a network i think they're i guess getting that support one way or another with those things that are gaps and with the desire to bring me the things that i need to be able to flourish in my role is, is important and i guess there are different ways to do it but i'd look to explore i think one option is sort of one-to-one coaching to process and work through and mentor. And I think the act of verbalizing is so powerful. Even if we're, you know, speaking to somebody who's not a professional in our field, I think there's something really useful in that and mentoring brings other benefits. I think there are, there are you know, options around that that you can do and, and you might touch on some of those more. But I also think there are communities of practice or of industry all around us. And I think we can navigate into them in ways that are helpful. You know, for for example, it might be a, you know, to, to use my example earlier, it might be a fundraising community that operates at a regional or national level. But maybe that would be something to be part of. Or there could be more of a, a general business community to be part of. But trying to really stick your head up and spot the communities around you and engage in them and, and say yes to them. And I think something that, that stood out for me when I've thought about people who successfully engage in communities is to view the communities around you as non-zero-sum games and recognize that the community around you is not for you to extract value and insight. It's from it's for you to contribute to. And by maybe giving before you get, by contributing, by having that sort of more collaborative mindset to offer into that community and, and see what returns and sort of take that engaged approach to, to giving and supporting in, in the communities that you're in with the knowledge that if you do that well, you'll build relationships, you'll gain insight and learn from others. But I, but I think that piece around you know, giving before you get is, is helpful when trying to build those relationships and have something to bring and to offer. 
I just wanted to, like, you mentioned mentoring, but I want to talk about mentoring as the mentor versus the mentee just briefly, because I cannot tell you how stimulating it will be for you. If you're managing a group of people, but you're feeling quite distant because they're all managing their own functional areas, one of the most powerful things you can do is mentor people outside of that group, but who might have similar experiences of work, right? So you might mentor them from a career perspective, but that will stimulate you mentally. And that will help you relate more to those people as you start to build relationships as well. So you're that giving before you get can work on so many levels because you can also take so much from it as you're giving. You absolutely can. And, you know, you get all kinds of benefits from knowledge and connection to well-being and all those things. I think all too often we feel too busy to engage in that space or, or like you alluded to, we feel a bit awkward maybe sometimes networking without a purpose. And I think that's why it goes back to me to being clear on what it is that you can bring? What is it that you're offering? How are you giving into that community? Because I think that really opens up um, opens up opportunities in your communities. And that's definitely something, something that I'd push for. I think it also really brilliantly allows you to lean into your strengths at a time where you're feeling a bit not strong. So when you take in that new role and you're managing people quite often around people who don't have the same skills as you, it's incredibly, it can be incredibly lonely and intimidating, right? Because you're like, I'm working with a board. I don't, they're all more experienced than me. I'm working and managing these three or four people in a multifunctional team. Most of them have more experience than me in their role. So you can quite often feel a little bit discombobulated, a little bit uncertain or off wrong footed. That's the word I would use. I think when that's happening, then looking to other places, you can lean into your strengths to keep your confidence going. Is really, really powerful. I think talking about self-awareness and what you know, what you need, I think the one thing I'd probably mention is we talk a lot in skills based people development around build, buy, borrow. Uh, we've talked about it before. Like, are you going to build the skills internally? Are you going to buy them in? Are you going to borrow them somewhere else? I think that actually works really well when you're thinking about yourself as a solo operator at the top, right? Because I think you can borrow them off friends, peers, communities of practice and exchange. You can buy them, executive coaching, seats at programs, that sort of thing. And then you can build them. I think the other thing you can do is you can develop the skills and the people in your team if not to create peer support, at least to be able to be a more engaged participant in the technical or the strategic conversations you want to have, even if they don't understand the fuller picture. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I just want to pick up on something. You said something in passing that I just wanted to explore it a little bit more. You, you said you might be able to like get yourself a seat at a table. Would you say a little bit more about that, like as part of a, a cohort or something? What were you? So I think so. I was just thinking about buying in either individual or group support. So I know and you've talked about and I've, we've talked about both coaching which would be into um, and mentoring and things like that which would be one-to-one but also there are programs where uh, i think quite often they're called masterminds but there are programs you can buy into where like you can buy a seat in a program of 10 to 12 to 2016 to 20 to however many people who are specifically in your same scenario and i think for senior leaders those things do exist or they sometimes you would you would buy into a leadership development program for example if you which might be slightly more cost effective than something like a mastermind and sort of following on from that, like thinking to some of the things that we've spoken to so far and a question that we sometimes ask in some of our programs, what do you think the balance is between developing skills and knowledge and capabilities and, and then the flip side being developing as a person and sort of a self-development? Where, where do you see that that focus being for somebody in, in this role? Or if you were going into it again, what would be standouting? Well, to, to, quote, to quote all the academics in my life, uh, the phrase that everyone hates, it depends, right? It obviously depends on the self-awareness piece you were talking about, about where your strengths and weaknesses are. But I do think there is a slight challenge when you come into this lonely position at the top where you actually have to do some really basic knowledge growing about the roles of everyone around you. So whether it's a board or a senior leadership team and the team below you that you don't necessarily aren't as familiar with, you do need the basic language 
to be able to connect with them really, really well. And then I think you also need the space and the skills in decision-making, reflection, strategy that is often only brought with engagement with other people and stimulation from external materials. Now, how you get those external materials, some people that's listening to podcasts, it's very much like an individual thing. For some people, it's in a room with discussion. But I think generally, I think if you don't already have at least the basic soft stroke communication skills, people skills coming into this role, it's almost impossible because you're coming into it in a place where not only is it already a tricky role, but you're also not necessarily got the things you need in place. And I think, it, I mean, it does depend on what timeline you're on, obviously. Like if you've got a long runway into this and you've got a year to make your impact and stuff, you can build the skills. But I think one of the tricky things is really navigating who does what for you and who do you need to do what for in all of your stakeholders. And that will be in the job and then outside of the job for you to keep you sane and functioning and developing. And I think one of the challenges around that is that in this particular role, it's very hard to get good challenge. It's in, you, you know, your board or senior leadership team, they want you to deliver the results. They want to have a chat with you every six to eight weeks. And they want to hold you to account for when finances or something else is going downhill or outcomes. And really, that's it, right? They've got other jobs. They've got, if they're a senior leadership team of a big, big organization, they've got other jobs and other responsibilities. And if you're a nonprofit, they've got other jobs, they're volunteers. So I think one of the challenges is, I don't think I've ever felt in this job like I've got the critique from the people below or above me. I've always had to go and find the critique. So one of the challenges about that is you say, what do I need? Well, I can know self-awareness, but unless someone is actually appraising my work effectively or my thinking or my decision making, I don't really know what I need because I don't know if I'm getting it right or wrong. And I think that's a massive challenge because quite often certainly at the top, if you bring proposals to the board or to the senior execs, they're not going to give you a four-hour debate about what's right or wrong. They'll just throw it back and refuse it and say it's not good enough or it's not right. And these are the three reasons. And actually what you quite often need is space and time with someone who understands the context to talk through what's gone wrong and what you need to do differently. And I think that's really, really hard. And so for me, it's finding that person to bounce things off, to talk things through, who's going to be really honest with you about why someone might not think what you've done is the right thing to do um, and, because you lose that. And, and do you think that's something you can get within an organization? Do you think that's something you can find within the team that you have? Or do you think that's something that needs to be external? I think it's hard it? when you first come in. I think it's super hard. I think that's like any team, you know, we've talked about, you and I have talked about new managers, right? And I think generally it's pretty hard early on anyway. I think what's particularly tricky is strategic decisions normally need to be made pretty early. Not like the first few weeks, but certainly the first six months. And you may not have had time to develop that internally. I've never successfully done a job like this. I mean, I might just finish that sentence. I've never successfully done a job like this without external counsel. And that's the phrase I would use, counsel. Without someone I can go and say, this is what I'm going to pitch to them. Tell me what you think is wrong with it. Tell me what you would critique it as. And so finding the people who hold the positions that you are connecting with, whether that's your board or senior leadership and whether that's your staff or your managers or whatever, I think finding comparable people to be able to talk that about so you can build your awareness of other people's perspectives in that. I guess in some senses, it's like a really extreme stakeholder map and engagement plan. Like it's like if you grew your stakeholders, not just to be the ones you've got, but also to be 
the ones that can help you be at your best? How can you constantly connect and communicate with them? And I think that's really good. And the other thing I would say very, very practically is learn how to buy your time. So be really articulate about how long you're going to be listening for and not really making any major changes because that'll buy you a bit of time to build relationships. Yeah, interesting. I've just written down speed and listening as two words I was thinking about. I did have another question, which is how do you get like a shared understanding of of that relationship with your board members? We talked about the self-awareness and I think with self-awareness comes a desire to pin down our leadership style and who we are and, and something in that. But how do we go on to create a shared mutual understanding of how we're operating in that boardroom? I mean, what do we do in that space to try and do that? Or, or can we? I think that's a great question. I think that's a really good question. I'm just thinking about it. I think I would describe it as not dissimilar to how you and I would discuss project management, program management, change management, which is you kind of have to create a narrative to the journey that you are really confident about communicating and a narrative to whose job is what. And the reason I say narrative versus just deciding what whose job is what is that generally my experience with board or senior, very senior leadership teams, like when they're like divisional and they're kind of one step away um, or board members is they're literally going to be in that meeting for half an hour before it, the meeting and then afterwards. So constantly reminding themselves and gravitating themselves back to what their purpose is and articulating what you need as a leader from them in that moment and space is really important. And then I think it's about having really, really good awareness of who might be willing to help more. Because definitely I've had board members in the past who have, you know, said, look, I can't be available every week to talk to you, but I definitely can, if you need an hour and a coffee at lunch break every so often, talk to me and I can just bounce things around and we'll cut straight to it. And that's been really, really helpful. But it's, I think it's hard. And I think board members all have a different idea of what they're there to do. And therefore, you can tell them what you want them to do, but they will still drift back to what they think their purpose is. And you kind of just have to take your wins. That's why I would never rely solely in the way that in another team that wasn't so lonely and wasn't so senior, I would be confident about being able to find peer and support within the team. That's one of the reasons I think you have to go external because I think you need that balance against the people who work for you and are therefore worrying about running their teams and the people who are holding you to account who have limited time and resource and really their number one job is to make sure that you're effectively dis- discharging the strategy and keeping the organization compliant. Yeah, I think that's nice. I have one other question that's turned into questions from James. I don't know how this happened. I just keep scribbling down stuff as you're chatting. Oh, I have one question, which is if you approached 100 people who were one year into a role like this and asked them how many of them would do it exactly the same again, what proportion of people do you think would feel that they oh, got James, it all right? That- that's an exceptionally difficult question. I mean, I think, I think I'm going to say two things here, and neither of these are reflections on the people I've known who've done this job, because they've all been brave and brilliant and imperfect, and they've been in the game. And I admire people who take this job, because having done it a couple of times, I don't think I've ever done anything as hard, ever. But what I would say is, generally, they're moving at such a pace, they don't always look back, and they probably, therefore, would be it would be difficult for them to articulate what they would do differently, but they would almost, I suspect, certainly think they should have done something differently. The biggest mistakes I see people use, and I see this very frequently, is people not reaching out, people not understanding the power of a coffee or a Zoom. Like people just don't get how, for some people with certain preferences, that can be game-changing for you to get you off the train of thought. And the other thing I think that's incredible is holding the space long enough. So you were talking about time and pace, right? I think 
almost everyone panics they need to be seen to be making major changes even if it's not a big you know big drama problem even if they haven't been recruited in to solve a problem people worry in this job that they're not being seen to do anything but actually it's a very weird job because you're kind of trying to take in everything and then plan in your head it's like it's i imagine it a little bit like running i don't want i hate using military where's my military uh being like a ship's captain right so you might be part of a bigger fleet but you need to understand all of that and you need to understand your people on the boat to make the decisions who goes where and who does what but you quite often like you don't have to do it you're not in a storm you don't have to do it in the moment but quite often people want to be seen to make major changes and make those noises so getting really good at like holding your space and say yes the first three months i'm only gonna be listening no major changes at all and repeating that about 40 times people will get impatient you've got to hold your line you've got to say no i think i'm learning a lot and this is what i'm learning and this is what i understand and i think you've got great expertise and i don't think there's a rush let's make the changes once and make them well yeah as you were talking I, a few things occurred to me one i'm just going to check out straight away which was a little bit of a metaphor you avoided a military one and went for a, a naval one but one that was in my mind as you were speaking is a phrase that people use sometimes to talk about football or, or soccer here in uh, the UK. And they talk about people having lots of time on the ball. Like somebody just seems to always have lots of time on the ball. And this is about them and their ability to make things look fluid in control and, and all of that. So I just think there's something in that metaphor about appearing to have all that time and that, that measure that's interesting. Something else I was thinking about is the relevance of a sector and, and function that we're in. So in some areas, if you've got a quarterly P&L target and that's how you're measured and, and targeted, maybe you have less time to, to do some of the things you want to and, and you are held in this way that's, that's potentially unhelpful for, for some types of things. Whereas in other industries, you're maybe on like a four-year cycle and it's a different thing. So I think that's some. Um, that's it's just important to be clear on on those things. And, and I, think, I think you're 100% right. And, and just to add on that, my advice would be if you're taking a job like this, be realistic about how quickly you can turn things around. So be have that conversation before you take the job. What are the timescales of, you know, of changes or significant? Like if the team are performing to X level and the delivery is continue to keep them performing, but over time grow, great. If there is an ambition to significantly change something very, very quickly, you're going to struggle if you don't know that function as well or those multiple functions. It's going to be much harder. Yeah, I think that's right. And the last thing that was on my list and of bullet points at the minute, not mine, full list. My last thing at the minute was to do with the fact that everyone I've spoken to who's been in a role like this and has had space to reflect back wishes they'd done things a little bit differently, right? And I think with that comes a knowledge that we will be imperfect as we go through this journey. And I think probably everyone's going to be imperfect going through this journey. So I think something that stands out is how we are okay about failures. And, and, and again, I think this is sort of industry and, and location and function specific, but I think some industries are good at sort of owning some of that imperfection along the way or better, and some individuals are, and some are less. And I think trying to navigate to be better at, at recognizing that sometimes we make mistakes and that's part of this and not let that knock us down. We need to learn and we need to get better and we need to navigate through these things. But I think we need to be able to keep learning and evolving and changing and holding on to that as we progress. I think you're absolutely right. And, I, and it's definitely very industry specific, you know. But what I would say is that one of the particular challenges of a role like this and the loneliness of it and feeling alone in this is that it is very rare that anyone's telling you you're doing a good job or even that you got anything right so um, everyone else has got a job to tell you to, like everybody else in an organization generally there is a specific responsibility to let people know when they're doing well 
in this kind of senior stroke CEO role, it's it's pretty rare. And I think there are some board members who are great at it in the moment, but in the wins in between, you know, the, the two and a half, like a month and a half from any board meeting, when you're sitting there and you think you've actually scored a really meaningful relationship conversion, even if there's no money attached, even if the pipeline for the funding or the client is a year down the road, it is no one's job to celebrate with you. And that makes it much, much more likely that you're going to lose confidence. And it makes it much more likely that you're not going to, you're going to, that negative bias that we all have is going to creep in of what am I really getting done? And I think the people, I did not do this well, but I think some of the managers I've worked with, some of the leaders I've worked with who were in this role, I think one of the things that, for two of them, actually, that I worked with that were amazing at this was drawing me into their celebration of success as their number two. So I was off running another part of the team, but they would set up informal communication to like be able to celebrate what their wins were with me and me then to be able to go, oh, well done, that's amazing. Like I didn't really understand for some of them even why they were important, but they told me they were important. So I would tell them I thought that was amazing and then well done and all of that. And I think that really matters because when you are lonely like this, I think to your point of we can be kind to ourselves, generally we're not very good at being kind to ourselves as humans. I mean, some of us are better than others, but sometimes it takes someone else to help us be a bit kinder to ourselves. And I think you make a great point about that. I was going to sort of riff on what you've said there with a lead into another one of my bullet points, which was, I think well-being is just hugely important in this. And when you're talking about the sort of sharing of success with others, I, I think of that as a, a positive emotional thing that contributes to our well-being and, and boosts us and does all those good things. But I, but I think there's there's a need for more focus on our well-being. And I think we need to I think I guess we need to carve out time for ourselves is I guess what we're what I'm I'm speaking speaking at here. And I think there are a couple bits to that. So I think understanding what you need to be at your best from a well being perspective, which could be social time or it could be exercise or it could be, you know, doing kind things, whatever it is, whatever these different things. I think that's important. But I think it's it's also really important to be a little bit I'm gonna use the word selfish, I'm not sure that's quite right. A little bit selfish about carving out a little bit of time for you to reflect, to grow, to learn and to continue to develop in that role. Because I think if you don't do that, it feels like there's maybe a, a risk of a little bit of repeating mistakes and not feeling momentum and, and maybe a bit of a downward spiral around that potentially as well. What, what do you think of that? I think you're a million percent right. And I the reason I was pulling a funny face is because I'm just thinking back to how many times I've got that wrong. Like, I think it is so... You become... Or in my experience, when you're in that kind of slightly lonely solo operator role in a senior leadership position, it becomes very hard to create a culture, right? Because there's just you. And so when you're a good leader and manager, you're quite used to creating cultures and you've got a lot of experience in it. You're quite used to creating cultures that are going to help people thrive and be healthy and look after themselves wherever we can, right? And sometimes it's harder than others in different organizations. When you're on your own, it all feels a bit pointless and you're like, oh, well, I'll just crack on. And it's very easy not to do the things that you know intrinsically will help you be better at yourself, uh, better at being uh, operating. But also it's very easy to forget what keeps you working and happy and healthy and motivated and engaged and excited. And so I think you make an incredibly, incredibly important point. I would say the risk is huge. So what I can say from experience is when you don't do this, and I'm thinking of a particularly appalling month for my partner who had to deal with it, um, where I got myself into a mess in terms of 
quite a big bid we were pulling together. And I was mentally a mess. I really was. And I had done all the things wrong. I hadn't drawn on the support I'd been offered. I hadn't talked to my friends about it. Not the work, but like how I was feeling. I hadn't set up space and time for me to be well and be healthy. I'd set a lot of myself in the back room and I tried to wrestle my way out of it. I was surprised, surprised. I failed, completely failed. And I think it is really easy. It's Or it is easier, no matter how resilient you are as a human, I think it is easier when you're working mostly independently in a leadership role. I think it is easier to slip into a, this is the way I need to get it done. And I just, you become blinkered and you just, you try and push harder and work harder, not more cleverly and not with a recognition. The things that will make you more likely to do the job well will be going for a run, going outdoors, going for a swim, going for a pint with your friends, even though it's driving you crazy. You know, whatever it is that helps you reboot, reflect and feel well. And there's no one to pull you out of it. And I think that's really, really hard. Um, and, you you know, on top of that, you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone who knows about this because it's confidential and we might do really well out of it. And I don't want to give a game away to other people. And I could talk to my friend over here, but my friend over here is in a competitor and it's a big client bid. I think that's super hard. I think it's really difficult. Yeah, I've got one point I want to share. And I've got like a question or a reflection that's come up as we're, we're speaking through this. The point I wanted to touch on that I think is helpful and it's something that I think we all work on over time, but I think it's really helpful here is trying to make space to be clear on your personal values and your non-negotiables from a, a behavioral perspective. And I think if you develop that sense of what your values are, what's important, then I think you're sort of preloading some of the decision-making that makes it easier to navigate the things that come up in the workplace. So I was just going to chuck that out there as, as a reflection. My question is maybe a little bit, I'm not sure, I'll speak it and say and see what, what comes up. We've talked there about the importance of focusing on well-being and making space and time and all of that stuff, which I stand by heartily. I've never been in a role exactly like this, but I've been in roles where for protracted periods of time, I've had to work really intensely. So high immersion, high contribution, all those types of things, or at least I felt that I needed to. And as a personal reflection, I have at times found that I feel or I can feel resentful about that. When things grow and the scope of a work gets gets larger and it becomes more encompassing, I can find myself unhappy and resentful. But what I do find is if I get to the stage where I'm in that situation, but maybe I'm going to use kind of a loaded word here, maybe when I submit to that and accept that this is what I'm doing, this is it. And the other stuff becomes sort of subservient to the, that purpose that I'm working in within a period of time, then I'm okay with it. So there's something about when I'm fighting the all-encompassing nature of a particular time and fighting against it and feeling like I'm missing out or, or resentful or out of control, then I dislike it. But once I accept that this is going to be my entire existence for X amount of time, then I'm okay and I can let go of the other stuff. What, what do you think about that, if anything? I think... You can refer me to counselling if you would like that, so that's an option. No, I think, I think, well, I think you're right. I think that is... What I'm trying to decide is whether that is a temporary coping strategy that is effective in the moment with dealing with high stress, intensive, intensive work periods, or whether it's healthier long term. And I'm not sure what I think about that. And I think a little bit, it depends on your perspective of the power of work and what you need from work. What I would say is definitely making your peace with the work that you do and the role that you need to perform in that moment is helpful. I would also say if you're going to go down that sort of making your peace and accepting that's what it is, I then think boundaries become even more important. And I think boundaries become really important in this stuff anyway. 
because it's very easy for you to become the job when you're working solo because you don't have a team and you don't have a specific identity within the team. It's like you and the job become synonymous, particularly if you're a yeah it's really and so you do have to have boundaries and i think even if you're working incredibly intensively so the the best example i can give to you around the intensive work and loneliness thing is when i used to work in events generally and i've talked elsewhere on the podcast about we i overworked people and i overworked myself enormously um but what i definitely also was really really good was that we had very clear boundaries about when the intensive work period was and i think that helped so you're right making your peace with it that's what you're happening but then also knowing that it will end i think you have to know that it will end when you're working that intensively and i think you have to let other people know that it will end too otherwise it can feel overwhelming and it's not possible sort of accept it without feeling you might not feel resentful but you're you're gonna feel pretty broken and you're gonna want to leave at some point so i think it's tricky it's an interesting question i'm not sure i'm honestly not sure yeah Uh, yeah i'm not either interesting what your point about the separation of self and job is something that I can really relate to in a different context where I've been involved in a small business in a very small place or quite a small place. And then if everybody knows that you are associated with this thing, then then that's your identity. And it's hard to separate that. And, and that was actually one of the things that I found most trying about that period of my working life was that inability to separate and have separate identity or private identity i thought i think there's something interesting in that and trying to maintain that separateness that separation the individual identity the permission to be something else i think uh, you are 100 percent. if you work in sport retail or community particularly i'm not saying those are the only places you will relate to what james just said 100 percent, because people are going about their lives not in a work context while you're in a work context so the example I always give is, I'd be interested to know about yours, but the example I always give is when I was working in a national governing body in sport, but I also played that sport. I would I would go for a Saturday to burn off some steam playing some tennis and someone wants to have a conversation about the decisions that had been made on the court two weeks ago or on a rule change that had happened and they wanted to give me a hard time. And that intensifies that boundary relationship because you're like, I don't even know, I can't even hold my own boundaries, let alone anybody else. So, yeah, I, I think that identity thing, and I think you, irrespective of your job, I think if you're listening to this and you have that challenge, I don't know what your advice, James, would be in terms of dealing with it. But from my perspective, I had to go and play another sport. I had to go and get another hobby. I literally had to step away from playing tennis for a while because I was like, I can't be living and breathing my work even in the one day a week that I don't think about it. How did you deal with it? I moved as well, ultimately. That's what I did. I couldn't really navigate away. And maybe it would be different now that I'm older and bolder and all those things right maybe that's it maybe i maybe i associate with bold men more and that would give me a separate identity i don't know but, but i think but people me, do they move right so people yeah. who work in communities quite often don't live in they're like they run the local shop and they're like i'm gonna move five miles down the road so i don't bump into my customers every day yeah yeah and i think that's what i needed to do i mean maybe it would be different now but certainly at the time i i didn't have enough breadth of identity around what i was doing to give me that separation and, and maybe i'm maybe i'm there now i'm not sure that that i am have you got any other sort of points? We've, we've meandered a lot in this, but it's been quite enjoyable. To we, see have meandered. You... we have been meandered quite a lot. Haven't we? I think, I guess, there's a couple of things that I would add. Adding on to the well-being thing, I would definitely just, I'm a massive advocate of celebration rituals for yourself. So get yourself set up with, this is what I'm going to do every time I have a little win and a little success. People on the podcast will know that I talk about, I take myself out for lunch sometimes. And that's just me marking that I, something good's happened. And I might even text my mum. And my mum really doesn't care about my business. She loves me very much. She doesn't really care about my business, but I absolutely will still text her and let her know I've had a good day. 
so definitely celebration rituals and then the other thing that I just wanted to mention was just if you are listening and this is you be really conscious that by very nature of you being more separated people are probably less honest with you and sometimes that's for a kind reason but it means that you just you have to work a little bit harder to make sure that what you're hearing and how you're interpreting it is actually a close approximation of people's perception versus niceties people say really nice things to me and did all the time i very rarely felt like someone was close enough that it was in, in their interest to be critical and that's the problem when you're in a team it's in other people's interest to be critical of you in a healthy way it's not necessarily when you're far apart so those would be just my my kind of so w- watch out for that and look for people who will happily do that with a compassion compassion is a great word across all of this i think Okay. Well, that feels like we, we've talked about a lot of things that are helpful and things we would do in that situation, things we have done in that situation, things we've heard from others, sort of reflections and things to ponder on. And with that sort of reflecting and pondering on, one of the things that, that I think would be super useful to do in that this type of situation, which is hard, is to, to bring in that little bit of a reflective practice. We talked about the need to invest in learning and development and make space for that and, and a little bit of that reflective practice, be it a little bit of diary keeping or looking back at the end of a week and, and things like that would be a, a helpful thing to do and sort of align to that i was just going to ask sort of reflecting back on what we've talked about here does anything stand up for you have you got any sort of key takeaways or things you've learned in this conversation i think personal and professional personal i'm still conflicted about how much i loved those jobs i still both found it incredibly difficult challenging and lonely and i still felt like i was never intellectually and emotionally challenged in the way i was and was like you know it was like fighting the good the good fight that's how it felt for other people So my team could crack on and do what they needed to do when I was able to navigate, but it took its toll massively. And from a professional perspective now, I need to pay someone to help me to hold my boundaries and manage my well-being. Because you know, James, we've talked about this. When I am able to make my well-being a priority at the exact moment that I know I'm under pressure, I do better work. And I'm happier and everyone around me is happier, but I'm really, really bad at it. I really struggle to maintain that focus and that, that space for the world's humbling. And it's not just about pedaling faster. world is humbling, right? The world is a humbling place. But they're nice, nice ones. I guess for me, I've got a couple of bits that, that I know are things I could do better, but I think are, are probably helpful for many. And the first one is to ask for help, right? Just ask for help more. Something I've had a few times where I've run businesses or teams or, or things like that, particularly in the business world. And I wish I'd asked for professional help earlier and just done that it would have just been better right just asking for help earlier on is a good thing to do and i guess the last little thing that i was reflecting on is as you chatted throughout all of this and as we thought a little bit about the separation of self from the overall identity and stuff something that's in my mind is about trying to be clear on the purpose and and having the agenda not be about me and this is maybe a personal reflection for me but it probably links to some of the maybe a bit of self-awareness and what's right for us. I think for me, at least, I feel drawn to a little bit of being of service. And if I feel that I'm on somebody else's agenda or I'm in that sort of service role, then whatever level I'm at, if I'm providing service, doing something that feels purposeful, and I'm clear on the fact that it's almost somebody else's agenda, then that makes it easier for me to navigate some of this potential isolation, loneliness, complexity, because it's not about me. I mean, of course, it is a bit, but it's not about me. And I think that's something that would help me try and navigate that. So that's a reflection. And just on that, I think uh, just to add one last point, which is to watch out, not from your perspective, but for people listening in that situation, if that resonates with you, what are the risks 
that you have to really watch quite mindfully is to slipping into a martyr place where you are doing it for everyone else, but no one else is calling you out for it. And it can feel very quickly like, why am I doing this? Every, like I'm doing all of this stuff. I'm far away from all of their stresses because I'm above that noise. And therefore, it's very easy to start feeling like I'm doing everything for the organization. And you have to be really careful about that because bad for them, but it's actually far worse for you because you stop feeling really engaged and like you're helping people. Yeah, 100%. Brilliant. Interesting. Okay. So I think that's it. I think we'll call it a day there on this conversation. What's next for you, Jane? Have you got anything lined up later today? Yeah, so I'm speaking to a lovely client in a minute. And then James, you and I are facilitating this afternoon, oh, I believe. Yes, we are. We're yes. doing a lovely conversation about conversations, which is always a bit meta. And yeah, just leaving the conversation feeling, as I always do when I talk to you about stuff, feeling a little bit reflective and thoughtful about how I could have done things differently and how we might do, how will that mean for us going forward? What about you? Yeah, I'm feeling reflective like you. Uh, I'm sort of pondering on the less haste, more speed. You know, you talked about trying to carve out the speed. I think there's I think there's something in that that I'm still mulling over how to go more slowly. I think it's something that's on my mind a little bit. In terms of what's next, like you said, we've got a workshop this afternoon and one of my friends who I used to work with is visiting Edinburgh. So I'm going to go out to dinner. So I'm going to go and eat a tasty dinner and do that later on. So that'll be really nice. So that's Well, that today. sounds like a brilliant way to round off a day where you've yeah, had a conversation with me and I've had one with you. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Until next time, I've been James and it's been great to chat to you. Yeah. And with a big thanks to Karen Abrams for giving us the start of this conversation. It's goodbye from me too. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.